0: well I mentioned in the first service after we worshiped that but for two reasons I would say let's close in prayer and go home and uh, we would all be able to agree that it has been good to be in the house of the Lord but I said for two reasons I can't do that number one I want to continue to serve as a pastor here at Calvary Baptist Church but uh, secondly and more important I believe God has a word for us this morning that is going to be critical to our journey as followers of Jesus Christ and uh, for those of you who watch sports you'll be familiar with a term on TSN called the TSN turning point and uh, what that is if you're not one who watches sports too much is during a game the momentum is heading one way and then all of a sudden there'll be one play or one player that does something and the momentum in that game will shift and all of a sudden we'll go in the opposite way and what happened there is the TSN turning point. What is it that happened in that game that switched it and sent it the other way? And I didn't share this story in the first service about last night there was a TSN turning point that woke me up out of bed. It was 12.05 I said I gotta go to bed guys. My wife and Jason and Daryl were still watching the March Madness and we were watching Michigan play Houston and Houston was up by two points with the ball going to shoot free throws. Now if you're a basketball fan, that means it's game over. So I had already taken my bracket and crossed off Michigan. I had them going all the way to the final. And I went to bed. And just as I was dozing off, I heard this very strange noise. And in my head I said, Natalie has fallen off the top bunk. That's what's happened. She's fallen off. And then I heard coming up the stairs. And I went, yeah, she's fallen off. And here comes Jen to wake wake me up to help her but no here comes Jen to wake me up to say get downstairs Michigan shot a, a, a shot and they've won the game and I went what and so I ran downstairs to watch the replay don't worry I had my Superman pajamas on no I ran downstairs watched the replay and I couldn't believe it that was a serious TSN turning point and the guy who scored it was a freshman who hadn't scored a point the whole game Incredible. So there's situations where, God, we're in a certain season and something will happen to turn the momentum in the other direction. And I believe this morning's word, as we look at the book of Nahum, I pray, is going to be one of those moments in all of our lives as we journey as followers of Jesus Christ. Because if we're honest, I'm sure all of us have found ourselves in situations, no matter the size or the scale, where it just feels like the odds are stacked against us. And those moments leave us oftentimes feeling discouraged and overwhelmed. I want to share with you something I read this week that left me feeling pretty discouraged. The following are monthly statistics put out by an organization called Open Doors. Open Doors is an organization that serves persecuted Christians around the world. Did you know that every month in certain regions of our world, 255 Christians are killed monthly. 104 Christians are abducted. 180 Christian women are sexually harassed or forced into marriage. 66 churches are attacked. And 160 Christians are detained and imprisoned without a trial. It is estimated that between the years 2005 to 2015, 900 1,000 of our brothers and sisters were martyred. That's 90,000 believers a year. Now, in no way do I want to minimize or even compare our situation with our brothers and sisters and what they face daily in other regions of the world. But I think you would agree with me, and as Pastor Rick affirmed in our prayer this morning, that it is becoming more evident, even in the culture that we live in, that following Jesus and living according to his word is becoming increasingly more counter-cultural. I doubt any of us saw the day coming when graduating law students would be denied the license to practice law because they were educated in an institution that aligned itself with God's principles on life and morality. I did not doubt last summer or expect that within a year we could possibly be denied funding for summer student jobs because of our commitment to God and His morality and His truth and practice for life. These two examples, I believe, are just scratching the surface of what is potentially to come for those of us living as followers of Jesus Christ even in Canada. So if you didn't come into church this morning discouraged, you're probably beginning to feel that way right now. But today is not a message about discouragement in the negative sense. Today's message from the book of Nahum is a good news message. And God does not want us to remain in a state of discouragement. And so we will see that through the prophet Nahum, God actually has something to say to us this morning about having a discouraged heart. Even as it relates to living in a culture where the government does not acknowledge god or care too much about what he has to say let's pray father thank you for this opportunity you've given us today to be in your presence i thank you for the privilege we have to gather publicly freely i pray god we would never take that for granted thank you for allowing us to worship you this morning through songs God, now as we come to listen to your word, I pray that you would help us to hear clearly the message that you gave Nahum. And I pray, God, that it will be a blessing to our lives and we will apply it even as we go this week. And I pray all this in your name. Amen. Remember a couple of weeks ago, ago, Pastor Rick, when he was teaching us from Jonah about the great city of Nineveh, the city that our friend Jonah was sent to. Well, in the time of Nahum, We are now about a hundred years after the citizens of Nineveh had repented after hearing Jonah's message. But now we find Nineveh entrenched back in its wicked ways. Assyria had become the most powerful nation on earth. It had already captured the ten tribes in the northern kingdom of Israel and dispersed them. And at the height of its power, its wickedness, its arrogance and its violence were no more proudly flaunted than in its capital of Nineveh. And as I go through this introduction about the description of Nineveh, I want you to realize how similar our world is even today. Think about big cities. Think about capital cities. In fact, I was talking to someone after the early service who went to the Leafs game last night, and he came home and he said, I'm not going to another game. I can't believe how rampant and how visible sin is in the city. That was someone's testimony after the morning service. This was Nineveh, proud in their self-sufficiency and military might. The Assyrians would plunder, oppress, and slaughter their victims. They would conduct their wars with such shocking ferocity, uprooting whole populations and dispersing them throughout the empire, not too dissimilar to the world we live in. In fact, the United Nations Refugee Agency says that forced displacement of people is at its highest in decades, with an unprecedented 65.6 million people uprooted from their homes by conflict and persecution at the end of 2016. 65.6 million people dispersed, many of them, as you watch on the news, losing their lives as they try and flee. I mean, it's so common now, Sad to say, it hardly even affects our heart. 30 people die, boat capsized. Click, and we move on. Not too dissimilar to what was happening back then. They would take the food of innocent people to maintain their luxurious standard of living, depriving others to supply and to feed their excessive desires. That is not too dissimilar to the leadership in many parts of our world today. So the combination of its military might and the fortress-like architecture that Nineveh possessed made it seem impenetrable and unstoppable. In fact, if you open your Bible to the book of Nahum, you will see in chapter 3, verse 1, that God's prophet describes Nahum as a city of blood. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. In chapter 3, verse 19, he describes Nineveh as a cruel city. And in chapter 1, verse 14, and chapter 3, verse 1 through 19, you will see that Nahum describes it as a city that is full of idolatry, murder, treachery, and social injustice. And so it is in this context, living in fear, and uncertainty, in the shadow of a wicked nation governed by leaders that have no regard for God or anything that God has to say, enduring great suffering, and even having to pay forced tribute as insurance to Assyria so that they would not invade, God sends a message of comfort. In that context, God sends a message of comfort to His remaining faithful living in the southern kingdom of Judah. In the midst of their mayhem, God sends a prophet named Nahum. And why? He wanted to comfort them. Nahum actually means comfort. Nahum is short for the name Nehemiah, which actually means the Lord's comfort. God wanted to assure his faithful that he is in control and that he is fully aware of their situation. I don't know what's going on in your life today that has you discouraged, that has you feeling overwhelmed, but God does. And He wants you to know, first thing before we even go any further, that He is in control, and He is fully aware of your situation. And together we will look at the message of hope that God gave Nahum to deliver to His people when they were discouraged. And we will see from that message that there is things in there that still will help us today as His people As we find ourselves in situations that are discouraging and even overwhelming. And we wonder, why does God seem so distant? Why does he seem so silent? But before we get into any specifics about the message, I want you to notice something that caught my attention this week as I was preparing. And I don't want to overlook it. How did God deliver comfort to his people? Through his word. He gave them his word. And I'm guilty, and I'm sure many of you are guilty, when you're going through a season of discouragement, when you're feeling overwhelmed, oftentimes we will go to another person. Oftentimes we might go do something, like go for a walk, just to clear our mind of our thoughts. But sadly, too often we neglect to go to God's word first. God will comfort you. God will strengthen you. God will help you to see your situation from his perspective when we go to his word. Nothing wrong with going to another. Praise God, he's placed us in a community where we are supposed to care for one another, carry each other's burdens, and spur one another on. But let us never neglect the power and the effect of God's word for the situation that you are going through currently. So God sent comfort to his people through his word. And in Nahum, we will find three truths that God wanted his people to remember that I believe will be absolutely beneficial to our lives today. Three truths that God wanted his people to remember. The first truth is this. When discouraged, remember, God is loyal. God is loyal. Look at chapter 1 and verse 2. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on His foes and He vents His wrath against His enemies. Now when you think of a holy and loving God, probably jealousy and vengeance are two terms that you don't regularly associate with a holy and loving God. And that's because we can only understand those two terms from our human perspective. And when as humans we are jealous or we act out in vengeance... That's because we're doing it in a spirit of selfishness. And selfishness reflects our sinful nature. But what do we know about God? God is holy. Therefore, how can a holy God be jealous and vengeful? It's because when he does exercise those characteristics of himself, we know in no way is it connected to selfishness. Because he is holy. So how do we understand then when it says that God is jealous and he is avenging? How do we better understand that? A better way to understand that is when you hear that God is jealous, what it actually means, it's not selfish human jealousy like we have. It's actually a burning zeal, a passion that he has for his own people. When he is jealous, that means he is zealous for you. He is passionate for you. And there's two scenarios where we see in Scripture that his passion for us surfaces. One is when we are unfaithful to him. Because he loves us, he will discipline us to remove the sin from our lives. So you see, when he acts passionately towards towards us, it's actually for our benefit. He's not jealous for a selfish reason. It's for our benefit so that he can remove the sin from our lives and get us back on track with him. The second place where we see his passion for his people surface is when they are being wronged or mistreated. And we will see both those scenarios in the book of Nahum as we look there today. So because of who he is, jealous, vengeful, we know that he is loyal. He wanted his people living in the shadow of the oppressive Assyrian regime to know that he had not forgotten about them. And secondly, because of his nature, he will take vengeance. Vengeance means to inflict harm on behalf of another. He will inflict harm on behalf of his people against those who have wronged and harmed them. Can you recall a time in your life, maybe you're in a season right now, where you have been very discouraged and very overwhelmed. And then you receive some good news about that situation that you're in. You recall a situation like that and you received that good news? You remember how good it felt to receive that good news? And you kind of felt like the weight and the pressure of what is overwhelming you is lifted. Well, for his people living in the context that they were in the shadow of this wicked nation with the government who did not acknowledge God or care what he had to say, for them to hear that their Lord is a jealous and avenging God was great news. It was great news as they lived in the fear of the great Assyrians. Note though in verse 2, he does not refer to the Assyrians as their foe or their enemy. What, is it, what does the prophet say? The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. Brothers and sisters, never forget that anyone who is mistreated as a child of God is a foe and an enemy of God. Because we belong to Him, our enemies are His enemies. And that should bring great comfort and great assurance in uncertain times to know that He will defend us. Too often we get caught up fighting battles that actually don't belong to us. They belong to God. So when you are discouraged, remember, God is loyal. He is passionately zealous for us and will ultimately take care of our adversaries. Loyalty to him during the season of discouragement is what he expects of us. Loyalty towards us is what he guarantees because of who he is. He is loyal because he is jealous and an avenging God. So the first truth he wanted them to understand in their discouragement is, I am loyal. Secondly, though, he wanted them to understand he is just. He is just. In the latter part of verse 3, it says that the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. He is just. He will not leave the guilty unpunished. And as God's people... As we sing the songs, even this morning as we're worshiping, it's critical in spite of our circumstances to hold on to these truths regarding the nature of our God. Not just knowing them intellectually, but believing them in our heart and holding on to them and trusting in what we know about God. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind there was nothing more than what his people wanted living in Judah at that time than to see the Assyrian Empire destroyed, to see justice delivered on their behalf and to be able to be free from living under the terror of that wicked nation. And understanding how his people felt because don't forget God is a personal God. He knows how you feel. He knows the emotions you are going through. And so because he knew what his people would be feeling he assured them with his great truth about his nature. I will not leave the guilty unpunished because I am just. When talking about justice, what you need to understand, with God, it's not a matter of if because He is just, but rather it's a matter of when. With God and justice, it's not a matter of if because He is just. It is a matter of when. So why sometimes the delay Have you ever thought, why does God keep allowing this to happen? How can 65.6 million people be uprooted and dispersed? How can families be lost just trying to escape to a land where there's freedom? Why the delay? If you are just, why? Well, he answers that at the start of verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is slow to anger. You see, the jealousy in verse two should not suggest to us that God is quick to avenge, because it's equally important for us to understand and remember about His nature is that he is long suffering. Back in Exodus we see this is how he introduced himself to Moses. Exodus chapter 34 and verse five says, "Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed His name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, "The Lord, the Lord." Listen to his description about himself. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. The Lord is slow to anger. Was this not the attribute of God that Jonah struggled with? Do you remember what Jonah said after the people had repented in Nineveh? When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than live. Before we're too hard on Jonah, we too are often too quick to forget that God's picture of a situation is always so much bigger than our picture. We are also quick to look at a situation and see it from our perspective. But God's picture of a situation is always bigger than our picture. Does God not say in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Brothers and sisters, that's why God's Word is so essential. When we find ourselves in a season of discouragement, when we find ourselves feeling overwhelmed, if we are in His Word, His Word will help us to begin to look at our situation from an eternal perspective rather than from a personal perspective. Because when we simply look at our adversaries or our situations or whoever's in our way, from a personal perspective, we will naturally want to jump straight to justice And vengeance but God who is the only just one wants us to remember that he is also slow to anger but it's important to note in verse 3 that immediately following his acknowledgement that he is slow to anger he right away reminds his people but I am also great in power the Lord is slow to anger but great in power You see, Nineveh, by human standards, absolutely was strong and mighty. And from the perspective of those living in the southern kingdom of Judah, the odds definitely seemed stacked against them. But God wanted to God-size Nineveh for his discouraged people. You know, when you go to a restaurant, sometimes you can take what's regular, and you can supersize it. Don't recommend it. As I'm getting older, I'm now learning what I shouldn't have been doing for years. But when you supersize something, you take it from this size, and you create a problem this size. But when you God-size a situation, it does the exact opposite. It takes something that is this size, that is overwhelming you, and God helps to make it smaller. And he wanted to God-size Nineveh for his discouraged people. He wanted them to see Nineveh in light of his great power, not simply from human perspective and human standards of what is strong, what is mighty, and what is powerful. So in chapter 1, second part of verse 3 through 6, he highlights his credentials to chase doubt out of his people's hearts and out of his people's minds in an effort to help them to be confident that their God who is loyal and who is just, is more than qualified and able to act on their behalf in executing just vengeance against his enemies. Listen to the description of our God. And if you are in a season of discouragement this morning, I pray that you would allow God's description of himself to begin to chase doubt and discouragement out of your heart and out of your mind. Chapter 1. Second part of verse 3. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. How big is our God? The clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. Bashan was known for its lust. Pastures. Carmel along the coast of Canaan was known for its fruitfulness. And of course, Lebanon was renowned for its beautiful, strong cedars. But what does it say about the power of God? He makes all the rivers dry up and these fertile, fruitful places wither and fade. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence the world and all who live in it. Is there anything more physically stable than mountains? I had the privilege of going to school out in British Columbia, and every morning you'd wake up, and you would see the mountains, the hills, and the earth. Yet the Bible says, in light of God's power, the earth quakes, the hills dissolve, and the earth is upheaved by what? His power and His power presence. With this kind of power rating, who can compare? And that's what Nahum says in verse 6. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. My people, in light of who I am, can a kingdom like Assyria, no matter how powerful Nineveh may seem to you from human standards, in light of and in the shadow of who I am and my power, can anything withstand me? Yes, God is just. Yes, he is slow to anger. But make, make no mistake, when he is ready to avenge his enemies, no one or anything can stand against him, including Nineveh. And God wanted his people to know that a serious time is running out. It's been a hundred years, but now the freedom they have to oppress people, to plunder from people, to slaughter people. I have been slow to anger, but God is saying their time is running out. Can you imagine how good that must have felt to hear that, living in the situation and in the context that his people were living in Judah? So in chapter 1, verse 12, this is what the Lord says. Although they, meaning Nineveh, have allies and are numerous, they will be destroyed and pass away. Go to chapter 1 verse 14. God then changes his message of hope to his people and Nahum directly declares the Lord's coming judgment on the city of Nineveh. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave for you are vile. Chapter 2, verse 13. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will burn up your chariots in smoke, and the sword will devour your young lions. I will leave you no prey on the earth. Because that's what the Assyrians had done. They had simply just preyed on everyone else. And now God is saying, I will leave you no prey on the earth. The voices of your messengers will not be heard. And finally, chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will pollute you with filth. I will treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. All who see you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is in ruins. Who will mourn for her? Our God is just. Yes, he is slow to anger, but he is also great in power. You can read for yourselves. We don't have time this morning. The prophecy in detail regarding the overthrow of Nineveh in chapter 2 and its complete destruction in chapter 3. And there you will discover that God was going to justly avenge with his great power the incredible horrors Assyria had inflicted on his people and other nations. As one author puts it, they were going to get a taste of their own medicine, and their best defense against their great city would prove futile. Nineveh would be plundered. It would be destroyed, confirming God's judgment. Listen to this. So complete was God's judgment on Nineveh in 612 B.C. that history records that the site where this great city once stood was not rediscovered until 1842 A.D. That is 2,500 years later. Do you need to doubt the ability of your God to act justly on your behalf against his enemies. It took 2,500 years to even find the site where this great city with incredible military power and its incredible architecture and its structure, which seemed impenetrable and unstoppable. When you God-size it, he put it into a pile of rubble that historians could not find for 2,500 years. Our God is loyal. And our God is just. Although judgment on Nineveh had been postponed a hundred years since the time of Jonah, did not mean it was rescinded. And even though this good news from Nahum brought great comfort to his people, who were discouraged, what they did not know is that it would still take another 50 years before this prophecy regarding the destruction of Nineveh would be fulfilled. Waited a hundred years. Get the good news. But what they did not know it was still going to be another 50 years before the prophecy was fulfilled. But because our God is loyal, because he's passionate for us, he's a personal God, and he knows what we need. So while they waited, he wanted them to remember one more truth. He is good. He is good. When you are in a season of discouragement, don't forget He is loyal. Don't forget He is just. And don't forget while we wait, He is good. Chapter 1 and verse 3 The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him, He is compassionate he will protect his people, and he will deliver his people. He is described as a refuge, a place that provides shelter and protection for people in danger. This is what our Lord is, and I so appreciate what shelters and refuges are doing in our city and in our community, but you know what I find striking? The more I run into people who, because of their decisions or just life situations have to go to these shelters. Many of them don't want to stay there because it's too dangerous. That's crazy. A shelter is too dangerous, so I will not go. But brothers and sisters, that is not who God is. God is a refuge that we can run to where he will protect us, where he will guard us, and where he will look after us and sustain us in the days of trouble. I like how the New American Standard Bible translates this verse. It says it this way The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. You see, he is a personal refuge. He knows your situation. He knows your name. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're thinking. And when you come to him and you trust him, you will find safety in the day of trouble. A stronghold. Some of you have met my dad. My dad has big, strong hands. I know from being disobedient, and I know, and I know from having fun with him. When I was younger, he loved me. So for my benefit, he disciplined me. As I got older, he wanted to wrestle. And my dad would give me those donkey bites right here. You got a dad or a grandpa like that? Why is it that grandpas are into doing this, right? So he would get you a hold of you here. Strong hold. You are not getting out. If anything, you are dancing and squirming and pleading because of his strong hold. This week, we had the privilege... To be away, and I'm so thankful to Jim and to Tamara and, the, and some of you here who were willing to uh, run the basketball camp at Queen Elizabeth School this week. And so as a result, I was able to take my family away this week for a little vacation. And yes, we went to the beach. And some of you are going, you bum. <laughs> I know, I know what you're thinking, but I have I have good news for you. I went to the coldest beach in North America. I went to the coldest beach in North America where there wasn't one other human except the other five people in my family. We were on the New Jersey shores. And the wind was unbelievable. In fact at one time I thought I better take a look and make sure April's still with me. Because the wind was incredible and it did not stop. That's why my one son came out for about 30 seconds and he said, Dad can I have the key? I'm heading back and he didn't venture out again. But we were on the beach. And it was awesome because there was no one else on the beach. Not even a coast guard, not even a lifeguard. They didn't care. In fact, the place we stayed at, there was three vehicles staying at this place. I don't know where the other two were from, but I'm sure the cleaners knew that we must have been from Canada because no one would be on the beach at this time of year. We had our hoodies, we had our gloves, double layered, but we were on the beach and we spent hours on the beach. And I knew we were in trouble the first night we were there, because I was sitting in the room and Jen was making supper and she said, I just want to go see the beach quickly because we had just arrived. And I know she loves the beach. But there's something on the beach she also loves. Shells. And so I'm sitting there. And you know when someone knocks on your door and you know they're not using their hands? It was kind of like... And right away I said to Jason, we're in trouble. Mom's found shells. And, she, and they open the door and here comes Jen with her sweatshirt like this, and a big smile, and she's like, you won't believe, I couldn't believe I had to leave so many behind, and she had all these shells, and she was so, I'm so thankful that God has blessed me with a wife who March break sitting and watching basketball and collecting shells pleases her. Thank you, Lord, right? And she came in, but we had so much fun on the beach, because we collected a lot of shells. In fact, we were like, you know when someone's lost, and they do like a uh, I, I want to say conga line, but it's not a conga line. But you know when you spread out and you just kind of sweep the beach? That's how we were. April, you're over there. Jason, you're over there. And we just swept the beach, and we we did well with the shells. But they have these shells down there called conch shells, and they're everywhere. And so you would flip them over to see if the colors look nice, and we basically flipped every conch shell in New Jersey, I think, our family this week. But what was interesting, every now and then you'd flip one over, and there was this... Really gross, slimy, fleshy sea snail living in the conch shell, and it's actually called a conch. I've done some research on it, right? And you know what, as I did some research on that, as in relation to a stronghold, those sea snails have such a stronghold in that conch shell that you physically cannot remove it. I don't care how big or how strong or you cannot remove that, because they have such a strong hold. But here's what is interesting that I found. The way to remove them is to freeze them. And what's interesting is when you freeze them, they begin to lose their grip. And I thought about our life as followers of Jesus Christ. When we begin to become cold, and when we begin to not remain in Christ as we're encouraged to do, we begin... To allow ourselves to move away from the safety and the protection of our stronghold. He hasn't gone anywhere. We allow ourselves to move away. That's why we need to stay hot. We need to stay in close relationship with God. He is our refuge. And He will ultimately provide the safety and the protection that we need. But did you notice in the American Standard it says, The Lord is a good stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. As I read that, here's what I thought The safety of an individual is dependent on whether God knows you. Do you know God? Does God know you? Who are you putting your trust in? Who do you go to when you're overwhelmed, when you are discouraged? Because the truth, brothers and sisters, is if you are not trusting in God through faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but you really have no hope for your discouragement and for feeling overwhelmed. He is a refuge. He knows those who take trust in Him. But here's the good news. You are here today. God's given you breath in your lungs to come to church this morning and to hear that there is a refuge. There is a person that I can go to that is safe, that will protect me, that will guard me, that is loyal, that is just. And the fact that you are here today means that he wants you to understand that message. If you do not know God personally as your Lord and Savior, your life is in danger. Come to know God through his son Jesus Christ be linked to that stronghold. And then in the day of trouble, you will find refuge. Our immediate and eternal security is found only in him. He is compassionate. He will protect his people. Final, he will deliver his people because he is good. Look at verse 12. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be destroyed and pass away. Now listen very closely to this next section. Although I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Interesting. Remember what I said earlier on about God's passion for us? It will surface when we are unfaithful and when we are unloyal to him and when we have chosen to love something other than him. Because he loves us, he will discipline us. God's people were in the situation they were because they had lost their first love. But because he is good, and because he is compassionate, he not only protects his people, but he also delivers his people. I have afflicted you, Judah. I will afflict you no more. And verse 13, now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. Verse 15, chapter one. Look there on the mountains, the feet of the one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah. And fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. Brothers and sisters, our freedom is ultimately controlled and provided by God. And why was it that He was going to free them? It was so that they could worship Him freely again. It was so that they could worship Him freely again. You see, during captivity, God's people were prevented from going up to Jerusalem to celebrate her festivals. So with the coming destruction of Assyria meant that God's people would be free again to worship and to celebrate her festivals and to fulfill their vows to God. God was going to move them from a place of discouragement into a place of worship and praise. A TSN turning point. He was going to move them from being overwhelmed by the might and the strength of their foe which they now learn are his foe, and he was going to free them so that they can move to a place of worship and praise. And just as God delivered his people from captivity to freely worship him in 612 BC, so he has also provided deliverance for us from the yoke, from the weight of our sin through his son Jesus Christ. And because Christ willingly paid the ransom for your sin and for my sin, those who know him through faith in Jesus Christ have been set free, and we are no longer slaves in bondage to sin. He has removed the yoke. He has taken off our shackles, and we are here this morning free to worship our great God, who is loyal, who is just, and who is good. As I mentioned earlier, currently in parts of our world, there are many of our brothers and sisters who are not free to publicly worship God like we are today. And even though we live in a culture that does not acknowledge God or care what He has to say, we must be more like our brothers and sisters around the world and not allow discouragement to settle into our hearts and our minds. So if the vote doesn't go our way tomorrow, it wasn't God's will. The Canadian government is not powerful God is powerful, and if he permits it not to happen, that's his will. He can provide whatever we need for his mission. We need to put our trust in him. We must be like our brothers and sisters around the world, not allow our discouragement to settle in our hearts and minds. I want you to listen to a testimony of a pastor in a country where his life is at risk every day. Wherever I go, persecution follows me. But instead of giving up his ministry, leaving his village, or hiding himself and his family in seclusion, he chooses to press on despite growing persecution against Christians in his country. The violence and the threats against him and his family have strengthened, not weakened, his passion to share the gospel. Did you hear that? The violence and the threats against his family have strengthened and not weakened his passion to share the gospel. That's that's what God tells me to do, to stay and be strong, he says. Besides, I cannot run. What's the point of fleeing? Wherever I go to serve the Lord, persecution waits me. Persecution is part of Christian life in my country. God's intention with persecution is to test my faith and my trust. What an incredible testimony. That pastor has God-sized the persecution in his country. And rather than discourage him, rather than overwhelm him, he has chosen to remain in his stronghold, knowing that his God is loyal, knowing that his God is just, and knowing that his God is good. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we wrap up this morning. God, through Nahum, delivered a message of hope to his people about a day that was coming. Remember, they got the prophecy, but 50 years later, that's when it was going to happen, and they didn't know that. But they took hope and they took confidence in the word that was delivered to him about this day that was coming when their enemy would be destroyed and they would be free to worship their God in freedom. I'm sure there's brothers and sisters of ours around the world in regions of the world that also are longing for that day. And just like Nahum delivered a message of hope, likewise God through the apostle John in Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 to 17 gives us a description of a day that is coming. Listen to what he saw. And as you sit here this morning, allow God through how awesome he is. God size your situation. Chase discouragement. Chase doubt. Chase fear out of your life as you realize how big and great is our God. Listen to what he saw. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, do you hear what I'm saying? These people are free to worship their God without any fear. And this is what they cried out in a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their face before the throne and worshipped God. We have been freed. We have been delivered to worship God. Saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Our God is good. Never again will they go hung, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. He is just. The sun will not be down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of living water. And because he is loyal and passionate for his people, our God will wipe away every tear from their Father, we give you the praise because you're the only one who is great. You're the only one who is all-powerful. If it wasn't for your grace, we would not even be here this morning. And so, God, we just want to take this moment to say thank you for your word of encouragement from the book of Nahum. Thank you for helping us to understand your character, your nature. God, you know what we're going through. You know what's discouraging us. God, I pray that we would be encouraged today by the good news from the book of Nahum. And now God we want to thank you for the privilege to worship you freely this morning. May we never take that for granted. And God in light of your word and what you have taught us about yourself today, I pray that with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, we will lift this final song as a declaration of our awe of just how great you are. The clouds are the dust of your feet in Jesus name i pray amen so in the shadow of the almighty and how great he is if you are discouraged and god seems distant and silent he had a message for you this morning and that message he is zealous for you he is passionate for you and he will defend you he is just it's not a matter of if It's a matter of when. Don't forget He's slow to anger. His desire is that no one should perish. So while we wait for the day that we know is coming, His invitation is take refuge in me. Trust me. I know you and I care for you. We will be here afterwards as pastors. If you're going through something that you just want to affirm God's word in your life this morning and ask for prayer about a situation that has you discouraged, come forward. We love you. And if you're here this morning and God does not know you, but you feel him tugging on your heart and he's inviting you to know him, come and talk to us. We would love to introduce you to our great Savior, Jesus Christ, who makes it possible for us to know God as our refuge. May God bless you today as you leave. Do not leave discouraged, but leave encouraged because our God is great. God bless.